challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. It is great to have Jerry back with us. We've missed him. Amen, amen. He has been out fighting a good fight. And uh, so we we so appreciate having you back. It just isn't the same without you here. Uh, one thing we didn't miss was good food. We know how to do good food, and uh, we continue doing it. So if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, uh, anytime on Sunday, come visit us. We'd love it. We'd love to get a hold of me, and I'll I'll direct you in. Go to the ninjapastor.com. Go to the contact me. Send me a send me a message, and we'll be sure somebody guides you in, like a like a ground air controller or some kind of thing. We'll just guide you right in. We'll feed you when you get here. Come at five, and you'll be fed, and you'll meet everybody, and it'll be a lot of fun. And we do it the old way, and it's awesome. And we I'll tell you what, we have the most comfortable chairs in uh, in this beautiful room that the Stabley's have granted us. We have the most wonderful comfortable chairs so and and it takes a little pressure off of me because if people fall asleep it might not be because i'm boring but it might be but uh so obviously you guys anybody that follows what i do and welcome to uh to the folks in chat thank you so much for joining us we have alaska represented upstate new york uh, i can see in the other sections we got people all over it's kind of a cool thing um that's really really neat welcome 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 really amazing so any of you who follow what i do know that this past week we had uh quite a uh well the weekend i was i was working with some great people hey don how are you brother we've missed you um don's fighting the good fight too him and jerry they're in there to knock it out um so um so I, I was privileged to uh, deliver a seminar uh, at a grief workshop with the Michael Strange Foundation. And uh, so go to go to my stuff, and you'll see the Michael Strange Foundation represented there. Uh, my great friend and buddy, Charlie and Marianne, uh, lost their son, Michael Strange, uh, August 6, 2011, in Extortion 17. I have to tell you, these were all Gold Star families that were there, Gold Star moms and dads, uh, and even a grandma. Was she a grandma? She was, she was a nice lady. Oh wow, wow. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. There was a lady there that her her uh son died in Korea and she's never had any anything like this, any any sort of help with the grief and, and all of that. So we were glad to provide it. What a wonderful thing. My friends Sean and Angie were there working hard and 
um, the Hill groups were there working hard and uh, Mr. Quinn and, and Charlie and Marianne and, and uh, Mr. McHugh, Mr. McHugh was the driver and the everything guy. And, you know, he brought the Philly, Philly pretzels from Philly, <laughs> from the street. Yeah, from the street. That guy had been all over. Oh, man, really, really amazing. Uh, there were several others there that were amazing. Uh, we even at this one, we had a medical person there uh, who did, did uh, therapeutic massage for people. And it's funny because I didn't know that she was going to be there. And I, in my presentation, I talk about how important massage is. And actually, it was a recommendation from uh, my dear friend, Debbie Lee, uh, who her son, Mark Allen Lee, was the first Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. And so she had recommended, her and I had a conversation, and she had recommended that to Gold Stars that, you know, when it gets to be too much, go get a massage. And I explained the physiological reasons behind that. And then here there was a massage therapist there. I didn't even know that when I wrote this thing. And uh, so, but all these people, and, and many more, I know I'm forgetting some of the people's names, but I got to tell you, boy, what a what a labor of love these people do. So that's where I was last weekend. And, of course, as you guys know, any the national news all uh, all week long. The uh, trooper corporal, senior corporal uh, Stephen J. Ballard uh, gave his life in service to the state of Delaware, was uh, killed in the line of duty. And uh, so I live literally practically a stone's throw from where the, uh, where the assailant uh, was holed up. And uh, I was able to be there on scene as it was breaking. So um, it was very interesting, very, very interesting. Uh, so uh, pray for the Ballard family. And in many respects, we should probably pray for the parents of the assailants because they called the police and said, he did it. He just told us that he did it. And this is where he is. And they were very helpful uh, throughout the whole occasion. I can't imagine. Cannot imagine. There's going to be more information coming out about that. So it was a crazy week. To say the least, it's a crazy week, and I'm sure people all across the country, they have crazy weeks. Everybody does. Hello, uh, got Ohio represented. Thank you for joining us. So people have crazy weeks, you know. It's how it happens. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and uh, you know, in the in the uh, I say marketing and advertising for this message, not really that, but in when I start telling people about the messages that I do, I try to be funny a little bit, unless it's a super super serious thing, and uh, and in this. You know, I, I had a purpose in, in how I put it. So let me read to you in case you didn't get to read it. Why is this preacher, this is the title, why is this preacher always repeating himself? Why does this preacher keep repeating himself? Have you ever noticed how preachers are all the time repeating themselves? All the time. Preachers say things over and over, multiple times, repeatedly. Why? Why do they do that? The reason just might stun you. No, I know the reason will stun you. No kidding, I know it will stun you when you learn why preachers repeat themselves over and over. It will stun you to learn the purpose behind the repetition of things by preachers. It will be worth hearing at least twice. Tell your friends, encourage your friends to listen and share. Live, live, live from Newark, Delaware. Now, what did you guys get from that? Sure, but what was what was the point, though? You're going to be stunned. <laughs> Uh-oh, somebody's been reading the notes. That's right. One of the greatest, great, see, great to have Jerry back. One of the greatest forms of emphasis is repetition. What's that? Brown, she said brown noser. 
you believe she said that? You believe that? I can't believe it. All right, so I'm going to use some Hebrew. That ain't right. I tell you, it's raucous up in here, folks. If you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, you should be here. You can participate in all this. So I'm going to use some Hebrew words. One of those Hebrew words is is Kepha. Uh, Kepha is Peter, uh, the apostle. Peter. It's that's his actual name. It's Kepha. Uh, and uh, Shaul is Paul. You know, Yochanan is John. You know, we got a million of them. So, and Yeshua is Jesus' really real name. So now we clear that up. So Second Kepha one twelve through fifteen in the complete Jewish Bible. For this reason, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you already have. And I consider it right to keep stirring you up with reminders. As long as I am in the tent of this body, I know that I will soon lay aside this tent of mine, as our Lord Yeshua the Messiah has made clear to me, I will do my best to see that after my exodus, you will be able to remember these things at all times. Now, I know I say this often, but the Bible is an amazing library of 66 books. It is absolutely astounding how much power is in just those verses. That little bitty passage, there's so much to it, we're going to break it down. One of the ways we can learn is by repetition. Look, we all know that. The more we hear something, the better, the more likely it will be, the better the chance we'll remember. The better the chance that we'll retain what we're being told, what we're being taught. And Kepha, or Peter here, he's seeing, look, what he's doing here is he's loving his flock. A lot of times people say, well, I wish that my teacher, I had a teacher repeating things over and over and over. I hated that. Well, what did you learn in their class? And then they rattle off all the things they learned in their class. Who's your favorite teacher? Oh, I love Mr. So-and-so. He was the best. What would you learn in his class? I don't know, but I really loved him. Retired school teacher in the front row bobbing her head. Mm -hmm. I know that's right. That's an amen. Kepha, what he's doing here, Kepha, he's loving his flock. He's reminding his flock of the great truths of Scripture, the great truths of the faith, the great truths of what he personally experienced walking with Yeshua. Man, can you imagine? Walking with Yeshua. And yet, during three years of walking with Yeshua, how many times do you think Yeshua said things over and over and over? Right? And at the end in Scripture, we see they were like, what? We're not going to be kings? What? You know, we're not going to be rich? What? You know, they had all these things going on. And uh, welcome to our guests in chat, by the way. I don't know where you're from, but certainly uh, welcome to you. Tell us where you're from in chat. Type that in there. We're always glad to hear that. But thank you so much for joining us. Here's the crazy thing, Kepha or Peter. The, the crazy thing about this is when he's writing this, he knew he was not long for this world. Now, we all say that. A lot of us say that. A lot of us are closer because of illness or or uh, age, or whatever the case may be, but some of us have a situation, and we know that, you know, the the clock is ticking three or four seconds for everybody else's one second, theirs is ticking three or four, and so we know that, but this guy, he really knew, this fisherman who had had the experience of walking side by side with the Savior of the world, man, that gets me. You ever think about that, what it must have been like? Well, this guy knew because he'd been told, hey, your time is short. 
time is very, very short, and he took that very, very seriously. So he he would soon pass from this life, and that fact that he would soon pass from this life intensifies the seriousness of his warning. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna pop back and forth between King James Version, which I, I don't quote a whole lot, and complete Jewish Bible, and I'm do that for a reason. You'll you'll see. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Wherefore I will not be negligent. And when he says I will not be negligent, what's he saying? What he's really saying here is, look, I've been given an order. I've been given a command. I've been tasked tasked with something, and I can't be negligent. I've got to do this thing, wherefore I will not be negligent. In other words, he could have said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. But he said, no, I'm not going to be negligent. Somebody, somebody said, somebody gave him a command, this is what you've got to do, to put you always in remembrance of these things. In other words, I've got to create a situation where you're going to remember all of these things I keep saying over and over and over. And even though you know them, though ye know them, he, in many respects, was preaching to the choir, right? He, in many respects, was absolutely, absolutely preaching to people who had heard over and over and over, a lot like the modern church, right? In the modern church, we have information coming at us from everywhere, right? We have, we have the text, you know, the little mini-message that comes via text if you subscribe to that, and then we've got the email thing from the church or from all different ministries, and we've got that. You know, well, I've got a text ministry. I've got an email ministry. I've got a this ministry, that ministry. And so these things come, and I love all those things. I think they're really awesome. I do. I think technology, we need to redeem technology for God's purpose. We do. Yeah, people are going to mis- misuse technology. They're going to misuse the Internet. They're going to they're gonna use it for bad, bad things. But we must reclaim it for the gospel. We, we must use it for good things. And the more we do that, the more we push out the bad things. But here's the thing. He says, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to always remind you of these things, though you know them. I've got to keep reminding you what's going on, what really is going on here, and be established in the present truth. See, the truth didn't change. The truth did not change. There was no changing of the truth here. Um, and that's something that, you know, I'm going to kind of allude to a little bit deeper here in a minute. But but during that time, remember, during that time, this is a person who was alive, who walked with Christ. He was alive. He experienced Jesus one-on-one. What else did he experience? He experienced the crushing regret that he could have had by letting him down. Ooh, we'll hear more about that in a second. The present truth, though, doesn't change. The present truth doesn't change. The present truth doesn't change. See, back then, contextually speaking, the Hebrew uh, worldview, the the occupation, the Roman, all of these things going on, the the, uh, crushing oppression that these people were experiencing and and the life-threatening, live your faith, you know, let's say, you know, ISIS, you know, they'll, they'll stone you, they'll throw you off a roof, they'll throw, you know, They'll do whatever they can do. I mean, there's, there's, they'll do their worst. You say you do your worst to them. They'll, they've got plenty of worst. They'll do it. If you're a Christian, they'll, they'll torture you. They'll, they'll rape you, and then they'll kill you. You know, the most horrific way they can think of. That's a fact. But by and large, in America, Christians aren't under some massive attack. It's just that's just not how it's working. Not yet. We don't wake up soon. Somebody discovered the popcorn. 
Dr. Bonnie came in with popcorn. I can't believe you're not over there already. Let me run over there and get, just get me a little bit because it's always good. I lose the audience when the popcorn gets here. Yeah. Right, right, first one. Sean already handled it. Thank you, Sean. That's right, that's right. We eat good stuff here, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's a fight over at the food table to get the bowls. Sad. <laughs> Isn't that funny? See, here's the thing, you know, uh, and I think I think this is important. Uh, this is what attracted me to the Hebrew worldview and um, the the language and the land and all of these all of these things. Because I want to know, well, what was it? The context, the historical context. What was really going on at the time? What was going on? Well, what we know is is that Kepha or Peter, cornerstone, right? He's the cornerstone. Set up, you know, he's going to build a church on. And this guy knows he's going to die. He knows he's checking out soon, right? And he had been preaching hard, folks. You guys, if you've read the Bible, you know that there was a lot. There was a lot of talk about how hard he was coming after it. I mean, and but the guy didn't know everything. He didn't know everything, but he knew a lot. He knew he didn't know everything. But he knew he knew a lot. He also knew what was coming. He got the picture, right? Because that repetition started to dawn on him. Well, didn't didn't the teacher, didn't Rabboni, didn't he say, didn't he say, remember when he said, right, he's reminding himself. He's reminding himself of all these things. You see, what I'm trying to say here is he had a keen awareness of his duty as a preacher. I Now, the postmodern Western evangelical church, uh, they're not big fans of the word preacher. They're not. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I'll be very vulnerable. I didn't like to call myself a preacher. I said I'm a public speaker. I'm a pastor. But I didn't like the word preacher because modern society has cast upon it somebody that thinks that they're better than you, they're running you down, that you know, they're banging on a pulpit, uh, they're, they're uh, holier than thou, they're judgmental, they're all these things. That's not what this is preaching. Preaching of the gospel is is the rescue boat. It's the lifeboat. He did not want to be negligent in his duty to proclaim the truth. He didn't want to be. He he knew that he's going to have to answer. He very keenly knew I'm going to have to answer for what I'm doing here. What I say. What I don't say. And his duty was to proclaim the truth, the truth of the gospel. But the hard truth of the gospel, and his desire was to be a faithful servant to the Lord. And that, you know, when you're a faithful servant of the Lord, that sometimes involves things that you don't want to talk about. Sometimes a preacher doesn't want to get up and talk about certain things. People think uh, that preachers, their favorite sermon is on tithing, don't they? Right? A lot of people in the congregation think, oh, here we go, his favorite sermon, tithing. Now, if he's a prosperity preacher, maybe so. But the reality of it is, is, is most preachers, that's the last thing in the world. And most preachers don't really want to preach about especially specific sins. They don't want to spend a whole lot of time just in general. Because it's very, very difficult. Look at the deer right back there. You guys see that? See, if you were here, see, if you were here, you would be seeing the deer. This is such a beautiful setting where we got baby owls out there. And we got, you name it, we got it. It's the coolest thing. You could be seeing this. Maybe they're coming out because they smell our good food. That could be. Three deer. That's right. Oh, yeah, they smell our popcorn. That's what it is. <laughs> so here was this thing. He he wanted to, uh, in the postmodern Western Evangelical Church, 
I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say just the postmodern Western. It, it might be other churches, too. It might be other denominations. Maybe they don't want to talk about that. Maybe they don't. You think? I don't know. I don't know. Sin? Specific sins? You know? I have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I, I have problems. I'm, I am a flawed individual. Significantly flawed individual. Right? And in a lot of places, you're not allowed to preach the gospel. Listen, in Canada right now, you can't preach the Bible. You cannot preach the Bible. Why? You'll be put in jail. There are pastors in jail now in Canada, our neighbors to the north, because it violates the hate speech laws. So what was he doing? He was reminded he was being faithful. He didn't want to be negligent. He didn't want to be negligent. So he wanted to remind the flock of things that they had heard before. These people had heard these things before. And he said, you know what? I want to remind you of these things. Because time is ticking. My time here is ticking. and I'm responsible. I've been given a duty. I've been given a time. I've got it within my chest a beating heart that one day will stop. And at that time, my opportunity to reach those who don't know the good news will be over. So in, in that, uh, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. That word established means, uh, in Hebrew, to be fixed, set, or strengthened. To be fixed, set, or strengthened. And that's a cool thing. The idea is that uh, you're setting somebody up, you're strengthening them, you're setting them up with the truth. Here's the truth. This is, you want to be strong? This is how you be strong. Here's the truth. The idea that, that we're preparing somebody with the truth. You see, no matter what somebody thinks, the truth, look, if they don't have the truth, they may love what you're telling them, but if they don't have the truth, they're not strong. They're not set up properly. They're in trouble. They're in peril. You're driving toward a brick wall. You're going really fast. It's going to be right around one of these bends. You better stop. You better slow down. You better pay attention. Well, they don't like that story. So they say, hey, this is a lovely road. Isn't it beautiful? We're seeing deer and owls. We're driving along. Yeah, we're going fast, but you know what? It's okay. It's all right. It's all good. It's idyllic. It feels great. Man, I love. That's the problem when someone leaves a church sermon or a church message or a, or a church service and they say, I felt the presence of the Lord there. A lot of times the presence of the Lord, that they're, they're attributing the presence of the Lord, is the music was off the chain, the lighting was perfect, I could smell coffee and donuts from the congregation. I wasn't hungry. I was hungry. Um, you know, I, I had my water, I remembered this time, so I didn't get thirsty. The sermon wasn't too long. It was just long enough. Boy, was that band off the chain. I'm not saying that, that means that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wasn't there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is modern society has really become hooked on that, what feels good. Let's switch that around. And say the preacher stands up there, and he and it's a hellfire and brimstone message. And he says, listen, people, I don't want you to go to hell, but you most assuredly are going to go to hell. If you don't place your faith in Christ, you're going to die, and you're going to go to everlasting torment in hell. If you're doing these things and you don't stop, you're going to pay a huge consequence. Nobody wants to hear that. So people don't get up and leave, and they don't, they don't get up and leave and go, ooh, I felt the presence of the Lord there. That was so, oof, the power to hold his feet was all up on him. You know, they don't. They don't do that. They leave going, heck on. Was he out of milk? 
poured the Wheaties first, didn't look in the milk, didn't look to see if he had milk, or all he had was almond milk, that stuff's nasty. I don't care. Listen, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm on this special diet. Calls for almond milk? No. Look here. What I did was I thought I would disguise it in my coffee. Hey, brother. I would disguise it in my coffee, pretend it was cream. No. It's not cream. It's nasty. And I cannot wait to plow through it because it's the worst thing ever. Milk is milk is milk. So so my point here is, and I, and I don't want to miss this point before I go on, it's because that doesn't feel good when the pastor stands up. He's screaming at you. You know, I watched a documentary on abortion. Uh, and it's a modern documentary. It's new. And it was done by a very pro-abortion group. And it was very obvious to see. But I wanted to see what they had to say. And I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, well, that's not true. What they're saying right now is not true. And they presented these abortionists, these murderers, as heroes. Women's health. Remember? Women's health. And they presented the preachers who were standing outside preaching the gospel, trying to save these women from going in and killing their babies. And and they really presented them as nut jobs, you know. And the the doctor who was doing all these abortions, she uh, she was pregnant herself. And she says, you know, just when I think I can't go on anymore and I'm so dejected by what these terrible nut jobs say, I look at this book where people who've come in and had abortions and they write in this book and it makes me feel so good. Thank you for allowing me to stay in college or thank you for allowing me to keep my job or my boyfriend is a drug addict and he's a bad person and there's no future for us and well, I, somehow I got pregnant and so you're not, thank you for not trapping me with him forever. I could never do it. You know, there's all these different things. Nobody wants to hear that though. They don't. It's an unpopular message. If they were standing on the corner preaching repentance from sin and come to Christ, nobody wants to hear that. So what do we do in the modern age? We package things in very present ways. We, we package them in very appealing ways. We learn to be all things to all people, right? Shaul said that, be all things to all people. Learn their ways, learn their culture before you open your trap. Learn what is protocol, learn how to do. Don't violate your faith, but learn... You know, do we eat first or do we preach first? Here we eat, and we preach and eat, and then we eat. You know, so so that's right. We're just grazing, just like the just like the deer outside. We graze the whole time. But here's here's what it means. Uh, the word established means to be fixed, set, or strengthened, and and this is what God chose our Lord Yeshua while he was walking every day with Kepha. He was saying, this is what you need to do. From And it's talked about in Luke 22, 32. Strengthen thy brethren. Strengthen your brothers. Get out there and strengthen them because what's coming is difficult. And look, many of the people uh, to whom Kepha wrote were mature believers, right? Everybody in this room is pretty much a mature believer. Peter's up there talking about we old. You know, no, no, no. Everybody, you know, everybody in here pretty much I know has is, is been in the faith for a, a fair amount of time, at least 10 years, 5, 10 years, right? That's pretty mature, some 40, 50 years, right? I got saved when I was five years old. I am far from mature in my faith, truthfully. About 11 years of postgraduate education, I am far from mature in my faith, to be very honest with you. But a lot of these people he's talking to, see, we've got to know the audience. We've got to know this is why there's a new book by one of my professors, um, 
he this book is is really riveting i don't want to say anything about it yet because it's only available in paperback and he said don't push it too much until we get it out on kindle but uh eli lazork and eisenberg oh man tel aviv he's a professor in tel aviv and i took two courses uh with him that i had to wake up at 6 a.m in order to take the course i was gospel of john the jewish gospel of john it is amazing i'm surprised you haven't got a notice on it yet have you gotten a notice on it yet i want to buy it i'm going to buy it i'm going to buy it before the kindle thing comes out oh dang on it It'll be sold out. I'll leave out of here. I won't even be out of order. I got it in my cart. So he wrote, writes this book, and he's an amazing teacher. He's one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. I'm telling you, he is really, really something. But he writes from this perspective, hey, let's understand what's going on to the audience. Let's understand, you know, in that particular book, he talks about the gospel. Let's understand what was really happening here. Context, right? Because context is everything. But see, what you need to understand is even when the believers are established in the truth, it's easy to become cold. It's easy to become, well, I've been coming to church for a long time in, in the zeal. I, I now, and let me just say this, in your zeal for the Lord, you become, after a while, you become, well, it's what I do. It's, this is part of what I do. Almost like going to a country club, right? This is what I do. On Sundays, this is what I do. I go there and I do this. But let me say this. Well, let me give you an example. This this is not for nothing because of what happened this week. I used to teach. I'm a state certified uh, police instructor and actually nationally certified police instructor. And so when I would teach the guys and the ladies, you know, I would say, who here has been on six years or more, been on the department six years or more? Who's the seasoned person here? Six years or more, raise your hand. And, you know, a bunch of people would raise their hand. And I would say to them, the data tells us that you are at the greatest risk of losing your life in an, in a uh, line of duty death. Why? Because at six years, it tells us, the data tells us, at that point, you start to believe you know all you need to know about being a police officer, right? And I teach this thing all across the country. It's called, instead of officer survival, I teach officer thrival. We talk all about eating. Police officers need to eat differently than they eat. They certainly need to eat different than the general public. Uh, they need to do things differently. They need to move differently, exercise differently. There's there's a major, major difference, and I've uncovered that through years and years of research, and the fact of the matter is I love teaching that. But I also teach them how to survive, one, by assessing, assessing adapting, and overcoming circumstances that come their way as part of being a police officer. But at six years, they lose their zeal, right? And initially, you come out of the academy. I can tell you I don't know how many other people graduated in police academies uh, but you come out of that academy, or if you were a soldier, I don't know how many other soldiers we have in here, but you come out of that academy or that training, and you are fired up, but you know one thing. Look, I don't know all I need to know. I need a lot more learning to do. I need to get some stuff under my belt. So you're careful. You still study. You read. You do all these things. You've got zeal for staying alive and doing a good job. Same thing with Followers of the way, as people are believers, right? After after a little while, we start to, well, we got this. We become cold in our zeal. And this was the case of the church of Ephesus. This is written about a lot. The church of Ephesus, they were like, they were starting to forsake the great doctrines of the faith. They were starting to really, really uh, kind of go backwards a little bit. They were regressing a little bit because they were once established in this great doctrine of the faith. And now all of a sudden, they're starting to go, go after stupid things that were bringing dishonor to Christ. 
Now, Shaul, uh, in Galatians 3.1, he, he had an idea about this. Those once established in grace, they had gone back into legalism. Now, let me just tell you something really quick about legalism. The difference between Torah and legalism, everybody lumps Torah into legalism. They say, well, that's the same thing. It's a bunch of man-made laws. They are not man-made laws. This is a totally different thing. They were God-inspired ways to demonstrate obedience and love for God. Big difference between man's written silly, stupid laws, some of which make some sense, but most of which don't. It's, it's all about retaining power. Legalistic is all about that. It's, it's not the spirit of obedience and love of God. It's about checkbox. You've know, you got to check a box. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had evidently set forth, crucified among you. The word bewitched here means to cast a spell over. And he was using that, those words on purpose. He was saying, who cast a spell over you? In other words, he was calling them demons. Now, what carries with this, the way he used that word was, you've been mesmerized. You've, you've, you've become fascinated with this thing that they're talking about. It's very easy for us to do that in the modern age, right? Somebody comes along and goes, hey, you know, this is, this is what I believe. I read an article about a preacher down south has 52,000 attendees. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, you're all right, man. Not going. Oh, you did? Press the two? <laughs> yeah, you're awesome. Thank you. See, look. This, uh, there's a, a guy that analyzes for, for theological accuracy, scriptural accuracy, and so he analyzes this particular preacher who has 52,000 people every weekend in his church down south, state of Texas. Yeah, it could be Houston. And so this guy, you know, he it's what he does. You know, he's he's a specialist in this area, and, he, and it's like there's no spiritual truth, no scriptural truth, no biblical accuracy in anything this guy says. It's not he's nowhere close. But boy, is he loved casting a spell, casting a spell. Fascinating. See, we're living in a day when God's people are mesmerized by personalities, programs, performances rather than principle. It's not popular anymore to get back to the Bible. It's not. It is not popular anymore. In fact, most people don't bring the Bible with them. What do you have? Now, those of you who are here, most of you here attend other churches as well. And many of those churches, if they're large churches, they're going to cast the, they're going to uh, show the, the scripture up on this big screens. Now, I don't have a problem with that. Now, when I go preach places, I tell them don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want any, you know, I might want a slideshow or technology or something. I put together a keynote or something up on there, but I don't want the scriptures up there. You might think I'm crazy for that. But the reason I do that is I want you, whether you use an electronic Bible or you use a, a printed Bible or both, I want you to feel that. I want you to look at that. I want you to go to the trouble to turn the pages. I want you to go to the trouble of pressing in the scripture number and reading it for yourself. I don't want it to be a passive experience of all I have to do is look up on that screen. That's how they save hundreds of thousands of dollars on hymnals. You guys know that, right? That's, you know, all we need is a projector system and we project it up on the wall. Am I against that? No, not at all. Not at all. But what if you want to read the, the lyrics? afterwards they're easy to remember nowadays because they just say the same thing over sometimes repetition is good but if it's vain repetition then it's not good 
personalities, programs, and performances rather than principal. People say, man, I can see the text coming in now. Well, you, that first one you don't have to worry about, personalities. You don't have to worry about that one with you. We need to get back to the Bible. Now, Kesa, he made no apology for this. He 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 was kind of a bull in a china shop a little bit. You remember him? He, Kesa, Peter, he wanted to cut everybody's ear off. When he called down fire, Father, I call down fire. I can feel the heat right now. It's the temperature's going up. I'm calling down fire. I'll call down fire. You want me to call down fire? I'll call down fire. I know. Back it down. Okay, so we're good. I got this. But what was he doing here? What he's doing here made him not so popular. But he was doing what God called him to do. In fact, as you'll remember the passage, he would consider himself negligent if he didn't do it. Some people say, hey, I don't say, like Christians, conservatives, if they're in a setting where people are not Christian and are not conservative. In fact, they are anti-God and they are anti-Christians. They're anti They Sometimes people hide in that. They say, what am I going to do? I need my job. I just don't say anything and I'm quiet. Being negative in the faith, especially when people are talking bad about the Father. Talking bad about them. You can't allow that to go on. I know you need your money, but God will provide. He's got that covered. We're negligent if we don't remind people of those things, and, and that's what he was afraid of. To be negligent means to make to be careless or to make light of something. He had been negligent. Remember, I told you I was going to talk about this. Remember, I repeated it twice. Uh, I told you I was going to tell you, Peter or Kepha, he'd been negligent once. He'd been careless. He failed to stand with Christ, his dear, beloved Almost like uh, you know, they called him teacher, but Rabboni, but 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 he he adored him like a brother that he dearly loved. He failed to stand with him. He was absent at the trial and he was absent at the crucifixion. And he said, "You know what? I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to get after it." Look, so what we have to do, and, and I'm not the only preacher in the room. Everybody here is a preacher in your own communities, in your own workplace. I'm not saying go in and start slapping your Bible and stand up on a chair and screaming yelling at people. That's not what I'm saying. Preach with, preach with everything that you are, including your life and how you behave and how you react. But even if you're well-established in the truth that's being preached, you have to thank God for the truth, right? Some of you here have heard the same sermon a hundred thousand, no, no, a hundred thousand, uh, a thousand times by now. Some of you have heard that sermon. Some of you have heard me preach the same or similar sermon at least once. Thank God for it. Praise the Lord that truth is being preached. Now, a preacher that preaches the same sermon over and over and over, you know what we call him? A traveling evangelist. He's got one sermon and he preaches it well. Now, the affirmed doctrine. In 2 Peter 1.12, the purpose of this book, you got to understand the purpose of this book is to stir God's people. It's to stir them up about these very things. It's the purpose of it is to say, wake up. Snap out of your trance. Don't fall for stupid stuff. Sometimes people will mistake doctrine for dogma, right? It's a very similar word. And they'll say, well, I don't like dogmatic statements. Well, I don't like to speak in absolutes. The doctrine of of our Heavenly Father is absolute. I'm sorry to tell you. It's, it's, it's concrete. It's, it's set. 
And doctrine, believe it or not, is very important to the victory of the believer as well as the life of the church. Listen, if we don't have a doctrine, we're going a hundred different ways. So you have to decide what doctrine you believe. And all doctrine really means is teaching. And in the New Testament, it refers to the body of teaching that uh, Yeshua and the apostles handed down to Christians. Christ said, you do err not knowing the scriptures, Matthew 22, 29. Look, you, you'll mess up. If you don't know these scriptures, you're going to mess up. Now, what scriptures was he talking about? Was he talking about the New Testament? I'm sorry, let me say again. Christ said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. Was he talk, What was he talking about? Somebody say it louder. Torah. Torah, the Old Testament, right? Book of the Law, the Old Testament. That's what he was talking about. So it's funny to me when I, I just talked to somebody, you know, they said, you don't need the Old Testament. You just read the New Testament. You'll be fine. I laughed for a second. But he was talking about the whole. Yeah, the whole, the, you know, the whole, the, the, the writings, the, the biblical scriptural writings. Look, the Bible, if you, if you don't study the whole Bible, you'll fall for every little breeze of new doctrine, new thing. The Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Look, the way we practice our faith, we, you've got to know. Look, I tell people all this time, you better read your Bible. And the reason I tell them, check me. Check me. Keep me in check. If I say something wrong and you can prove it, I, I want to be corrected. We have to base our practice on the eternal word of God. Why? Because it's our foundation. It's the thing we have now. And when we get to heaven, I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome because we will then be with the word, the living word. Now, I told you that Peter or Kepha, he knew that he was going to die soon. Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. That's 2 Peter 1.14. He had a firm grip on the truth that preachers die. But the word of God doesn't die. Preachers die, but the word of God doesn't die. People have died preaching the gospel with the word in their hand, and somebody came along and picked up that book, that blood-stained book. People have died printing the book. I was privileged to go to the, the uh, world's greatest collection of scriptural antiquities, and, and I saw Bibles that were, how old did they say this? Some of those Bibles were, some, they, they had some of the original Bibles there. Down in Orlando, amazing, amazing. And many of them were bloodstained. Bald like a baby walking through that. I said, oh, Father, thank you for the reminder not to treat your word as though it was just something somebody wrote down. But it's you breathed this. Kepha knew. He said, preacher's going to die, but the word lives on. We're not here to build monuments to ourselves. I talk about that a lot. Um, this is about Christ. This is this is about the Father. He must increase, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Kepha had no time to waste. He knew that the clock was ticking. He preached the truth, and he exalted Christ while there was opportunity. How do we know? that? Because he, he said, shortly, I must put off. This, my tabernacle, what's that mean? He uses the word tabernacle to talk about his body. And, and really what he's talking about is the tent, right? A tent as you're going through the desert, you pop up that tent, you're there for a while, you take the tent down, you go. You don't live in a tent forever. Temporary dwelling place. That's our, that's our Bible. Our Bible is a temporary dwelling place. And when it comes time to move on, you pull up the stakes and go. Kepha knew his death was imminent. 
Yeshua had told Kepha years early about it's coming, years early about it's coming, and, and this is Yochanan or John, 2118, complete Jewish Bible. Yochanan 2118. Yes, indeed, I tell you, when you were younger, you put on your clothes and went where you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Kepha would bring glory to God. Then Yeshua said to him, follow me. Kepha knew a martyr's death was coming from him. Coming for him. He knew it, folks. Make no mistake about it. He understood that if I preach this word, if I go town to town, eventually the people that want to kill me, who are many, eventually the people who killed Yeshua, who are or who will kill Yeshua, are many. Eventually, they're going to come after us, and eventually, they're going to catch me, and eventually, they're going to kill me. He didn't shrink back on that. He didn't shrink back and say, "Well, my workplace, you know, they none of them believe what I believe. None of them feel how I feel. None of them have any reverence for my faith. They have reverence to their anti-faith, but they have no reverence for my faith. They have reverence for their beliefs, which are no beliefs." And But they don't have any reverence for mine. I'll just be quiet. That's the smart thing to do. Not Kepha. Kepha knew it was going to kill him. He knew they were going to come and kill him. He knew it. And he knew it wasn't going to be pretty. But that motivated him to speak out even more. What a hero. What an absolute hero of the faith. The Lord knew who to choose. Let me tell you. Kepha knew that the day was coming when his tongue would be silenced. He would move on to glory, but he would also leave his opportunity to speak up for the Savior and teach the Word of God at every chance. In his first letter, Kepha reminded us that we're strangers. First Kepha 1.1 in this world. We're strangers in this world. And what strangers speaks of in the more Hebrew sense is pilgrim or sojourner or foreigner. And it is a very descriptive term. If we understand who and what we are as followers of the way, we are pilgrims, sojourners, or foreigners. We're foreigners in this world. We want to fit in. We don't want. We want to wear the same bathing suit everybody else wears because we don't want to get made fun of. We want to wear the same clothes. We want to have the same haircut. We want to talk the same. We want to go to the same place to do the same thing because we. That man, I'm telling you, people. That's what most people fear the worst: standing out in a crowd. And not in the good way. We're foreigners in this world. The world's not our home. We are strangers here. We're to be strangers. We're to be so focused on the things of Christ, someone sees us and says, there is something different about that woman. There is something different about that man. There's a songwriter wrote, the world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. Most believers are not living as a stranger of this world. They're living as settlers, right? We, we, we didn't have a tent. We, we, we built a concrete structure, and we made it look like just like everybody else's because we didn't want to look any different. We need to get back to that pilgrim status. We need to get back to that new birth, that zeal that we had. We need to get back to remembering that we're creatures of another world. Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Let's remember this about Yeshua Hamashiach, or Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. 
the great Puritan preacher, Richard Baxter, said, I preach as, man, this gets me every time, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Let me say that one more time. I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Man, that guy got it. Baxter got it. I love reading his work. It's hard to read because it's written in a in a uh, much more um, uh, elaborate and eloquent language. We're not used to that. I'm a country boy from Sussex County. I don't, you know, but I have to read it a couple of times, five times, maybe a hundred, and then you get to the point, you figure it out. You're like, wow, this guy's got something to say, and it's powerful. I preach is never sure to preach again. In other words, he says, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to preach this again. The Lord may call me home. Somebody may take offense to what I'm saying and kill me. And I want to remember that I'm a dying man. Tick-tock, 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 preaching to dying men. Tick-tock. We're all in the same boat. There's a sense of urgency. Kepha writes as a dying man to dying men. This is what he was doing. He knew his voice would soon be silenced and his tongue would lie silent in the grave. He knew he was finished once they killed him. Oh, he'd be in heaven. His work on earth would be done. What he did was he spoke up while he could. The King James translates Second Peter 1.15 this way. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, or in other words, after I die, to have these things always in remembrance. He was saying, listen, don't forget this. I'm dying soon. Don't forget this. Kepha says, Second Peter 1.15, the complete Jewish Bible, and I will do my best. To see that after my exodus, in other words, after he goes, you'll be able to remember these things at all times. Same verse, a little, little easier to understand. I'm leaving here, and I want to make sure you guys know the story so you can repeat the story. And you can't repeat a story that you don't live and repeat to yourself. The word endeavor means to be diligent, to strive, to make every effort. It carries the idea of a striving. We're striving earnestly. We're, You know, you ever see anybody that's, boy, they, they're really... You say, ooh, that fellow's working like he's possessed. He's working like somebody's on fire, and the harder he works, puts him out. Somebody he loves is on fire. Somebody he loves is at risk, and the harder he works, is save their life. You ever know anybody like that? I know people. I know a couple of people like that. I know people like that. I know lots of people like that. We've got to get something done, and it's the most important thing we've ever done in our whole life. Kepha was going to continually... He, he was not going to let up. He was going to remind them these great doctrines of the world, even to the point that long after the uh, after he's gone, he's dead. People are going to remember not him, but what he said, the truth that he brought, and that they could stand on the truth of God's word. Ecclesiastes nine nine through ten, the complete Jewish Bible. Enjoy life with the wife you have loved throughout your meaningless life that he has given you under the sun all the days of your futility. For that is your allotted portion in life and your labor that you work at under the sun. Whatever task comes your way to do, do it with all your strength. Because in Sheol, where you will go, there is neither working nor planning, neither knowledge nor wisdom. The grave may silence our tongue. My friends, the grave may silence our tongue. It may shut us down, uh, but it doesn't have to end the influence we have. We say, I'm just a regular person. I tell people all the time, if somebody gives me a compliment, I, I'm not great at taking compliments. I'm just a regular dude. Somebody say, oh, that was, this or that was really great. I'm just a regular dude. That's how I think of myself. Even regular dudes, Kepha thought of himself as regular until the fathers looked at him and said, there he is right there. See that fisherman out on that boat? 
fishing his guts out, that's my guy. Cornerstone. That's my guy. He, the ultimate leader. I tell you, business schools ought to teach Jesus. There was a leader. You say, well, he wasn't very successful. He went to, he, 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 he taught for three years. Yeah, he healed a bunch of people, but they still killed him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't kill him. Don't let anybody tell you that they killed him. He went as the sacrificial lamb. Praise God. The lamb that never would come walking along, if it was deer, there were lambs walking, never going to be a more perfect one than Jesus. And I'll have you know, he wasn't dead but a little while, and he lives today. The grave may silence our tongue, but don't let it don't let it end your influence. You say, what influence do I have? Listen, if you open your mouth, you open your heart, you open, you do things. There, I see so many people in here do so many sweet things. You all have done so many sweet things for me. By the way, somebody better find out where that um, Michael Strange Foundation. Yeah, amen, 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 brother. They gave me this big. Yes, I do. If, if I pass this particular firearm around, Stavely, Stavely would go, I don't know where it went. I didn't see it. And you'll have to talk to somebody about it. I didn't touch it. You didn't see my fingerprint. Yeah. Well, they gave me such a, a wonderful gift. My goodness. Touched my heart. Look, the day is coming. You need to understand the day is coming where you will no longer have the opportunity to be a witness for Christ. The day is coming where your opportunity to tell at least one other person. Look, I'm not a huge fan of of, of um, Rick. Uh, his name just jumped out of my saddleback. Rick Warren. I'm not a huge fan. He is a super nice guy. He's a super sweet man. He's an amazing leader and organizer and and preacher. He can show or preach. Let me tell you. Some of his theology is a little weak, I think. But the point of the matter is, the guy said it. His father was a great soul winner. And he sat with his father as he was dying, and his dad was crying and rocking and, you know, fighting to live. Please, Father, one more. Please give me one more for you. Let me leave one more for you. That story alone he told about his father in his Purpose Driven Life book, one of the best-selling books of all time. That guy left the earth, and his son wrote about the passion and zeal for souls in his book. And that part of that book led considerably tens of thousands of when they write to, to Rick Warren and they say, I read your book. When I got to this part, I placed my faith in Christ. I don't know if I prayed right, but I read this about your dad. And I said, I have to make a choice. You can say what you want about Rick Warren. You can say what you want. There's a whole bunch of – I may not agree with everything, but they're speaking. They're telling of the gospel. They're getting out there and they're saying, you don't have to live like this. Hopeless. There's a father who thought enough of you. He sent his son, perfect son, to put on a tent, a dirty, dirty tent of human skin. And walk in the dirt of the earth and have to teach men that he had to tell over and over and over. The grave may indeed silence our tongue, but it doesn't have to end our influence. The day is coming when we will no longer be able to witness for Christ. And at that point, we will be measured by what we've done for the Lord.
we will no longer be able to instruct and direct our children. We will no longer be able to instruct and direct people that look at us as though we know something. We will no longer be able to help. We will no longer be able to encourage the hurting. We will no longer be able to ministry, to, to be a ministry to somebody. Do you understand that? When it closes off, well, yeah, we go to heaven. I, I say this at, at funerals all the time. I'm privileged to be asked to speak at funerals, and, and, I, and I'm moved by it. It really touches my heart because, I, you know, that's a, that's a powerful moment in somebody's life. And to be asked to speak at that is really humbling. But if I know that person was a person of faith and their faith was in Christ, I remind the crowd, I say, hey, that person wouldn't change. I said this about my father's funeral. I said, Dad, wouldn't he's not going to switch. We miss him, but he wouldn't switch with us. He'd chuckle at it. He'd go, you got to be kidding me. You want me to come back there because you are lonely for me? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Heaven is awesome. And Jesus is better than I ever thought he could ever be. Anything, anything could ever be. But while we're here, we need to live our lives as though we are ministers of the gospel. And you know what? We need to repeat, we need to repeat the truths of the gospel over and over and over to ourselves first and then to the nation. And you know where the nation starts? At your front door, at the Wawa. I'm going to close with this. I was so powerfully blessed to learn this week by somebody who's very close friends to whom for whom this sermon is dedicated. Delaware State Trooper killed this week in Delaware, murdered in cold blood, middle of the day. He was a believer, and he practiced his faith both on the job and off, and he is with the Father. Praise God. Praise God. Be that. Do that. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight. <laughs>